Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. How old is the universe? That's a question I get a lot. Maybe you do as well. Is it illogical for God to create out of nothing? That's a question I just got from one of you sending into our email line. And if you want to send a question in, you can. Hello at crossexamine.org. That's our email address, hello at crossexamine.org. Did the law of cause and effect apply to the beginning of the universe is a question that came in. Also, is the assertion that we evolved from the slime without any intelligent intervention leading to an increase in despair and suicide? A very serious question there. We'll try and get to all those questions today. Again, our email address is hello at crossexamined.org. I'm Frank Turk. The website is crossexamined.org, crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. And by the way, if you don't have the crossexamined app, you should have it. Two words in the app store, crossexamined. I want to give a shout out, by the way, to uh, my friend Eric Chabot out there at Ohio State. He did a wonderful job uh, last Monday night of getting people there. We had to bring in extra chairs to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist Ohio State event uh, there in the uh, Student Union. We had about 500 show up for that. You can see that presentation, by the way, and all the Q&A on our website and also on our Facebook page, crossexamine.org. It's up there because we stream it live. And this Tuesday night... I'll be at Winthrop University. Now, normally I do, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, but at Winthrop, I just did that about a year ago there, I'm going to do If God, Why Evil? If there is a good God, why is there evil in the world? So that's going to be a bit of a different presentation for the stream. If you're anywhere near the Charlotte area, you can come see it there at Winthrop University. Everybody is invited. All the details are on our website. If you're not near Charlotte and you just want to see it stream, go to our website or go to the Facebook page and watch it streaming. It'll begin about 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so right about that time or so, sometimes a little bit after that. And then that's this Tuesday, February 5th at Winthrop University. Next Tuesday, February 12th, they'll be at Flagstaff Christian Fellowship up there in Flagstaff, Arizona. And the very next night, February 13th at Northern Arizona University. We'll stream the Northern Arizona University event. But if you're anywhere near Flagstaff, the Grand Canyon, Phoenix, Tucson, anywhere in there, love to see you at Northern Arizona University. All right. Oh, one other thing I got to mention. You know, we're, we're developing new courses, new online courses all the time. And we're bringing one back we ran a couple of years ago with the great Dr. Gary Habermas, the resurrection course. It's going to begin late this month, late February. And yes, Gary is going to be teaching it live in the Zoom sessions. You'll watch video and then you'll be able to interact on three different occasions with Gary Habermas live if you want to be a part of that Go to the website, crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. And uh, if, if it's not up yet for the premium version, you can take the uh, basic version anytime. The basic version is just the video. You don't get to interact with Gary. But if you want to take the premium version, it's going to be posted soon if it's not already up there uh, by the time you hear this. Uh, so check into that. We, we only take a handful, a number of students, so you can interact with Gary uh, in the premium version. So go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses if you want to be a part of the resurrection course. And who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That is the central miracle in Christianity. As Paul said, if 
The resurrection occurred. Obviously, Christianity is true. If it didn't, our faith is futile. You might as well just sleep in Sunday and do whatever you want the rest of the week because Christianity is not true if the resurrection occurred. What evidence do we have that it occurred? Gary Habermas is the top guy in the world on that, and you can interact with him live. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. All right, let's start with the first question that uh, we're going to deal with today. How old is the universe? I get this question almost every time I go to a college campus. And when people ask me how old the universe is, I typically say, I'm absolutely certain it's at least 57 years old. All right, I'll throw my dad in there. It's at least 82, okay? Now, in all seriousness, this is an interesting question, but it's not a question that we ought to divide over. It's not an essential issue. Now, I know some people will argue it is an essential issue. I'll get to that here in a minute, but it is not. Now, for those of you that have asked this question via email, you would have already seen the answer to this because we... We film everything we do on a college campus, and I've answered this question quite a number of times. We have a YouTube video up there on our YouTube channel, and you would have seen uh, this uh, in one of the emails we send. We send one email a week with a video in it, a short video, usually a Q&A video from the college campus. The beauty of these videos is they're short, number one, which number two means that most people will watch them, which number three means you can share it with other people and they'll watch it. Unlike if you send them a 40-minute video, they won't watch it. If you send them a four-minute Q&A video, they will. So if you want to get this one email a week from us with the video in it, all you need to do is text the word evidence to 44222. That's evidence to 44222. You'll not only get the, the video once a week, you'll be able to download the uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist PowerPoint in PDF. You'll get the first chapter of Stealing from God, a book we'll, we'll, we'll refer to today a little bit later. And you'll also... Uh, you'll also get a audio version of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. You can listen to it anytime you want. Uh, I mean, a presentation, not the book, but a presentation of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. All for free. Just text evidence to 44222. All right, let me go back to the age of the earth question, or really age of the universe question. And, and typically, this, this question has about three parts to it. People don't know it, but they're actually asking three questions. How old is the universe? How old is the earth? And how old is, is life or human beings? Um, but let me say that no matter what position you take on this issue, you're making assumptions you can't prove because all dating methods require assumptions that cannot be proven. If you want to say the universe is old, one of the ways you date that is the, the speed of light from the stars. You have to assume the speed of light has not changed. How do you know it hasn't changed? Well, you don't. Although I will say this, it's probably a very good assumption. It has not changed. Why? Because if you change the speed of light, you have to change all the other laws of physics with it. And that would obviously, well, you, say, you, you might say, well, God could do that. Yeah, of course he could, but now you're making an assumption you can't prove. So it's an assumption either way you put it. I think if the speed of light hasn't changed, then the universe certainly appears to be almost 14 billion years old. Okay? Uh, so no matter what dating assumption you use, you're making assumptions you can't prove. Same thing is true with radiocarbon dating on the Earth. Same thing is true with salt in the ocean. You're making assumptions you can't prove. They may be good assumptions, but you can't prove them. Now, in order to get at the past, as scientists, we have to assume that the laws in the past are like those in the present. If we can't assume laws uh, in the past were like those in the present, we can't really get at the past. Uh, because if they were different in the past, there's no way of using... The principle of uniformity, which, that, which is what this is, that causes in the past were uniform, just like they are in the present. There's no way of really ascertaining what happened in the past if you can't assume the principle of uniformity. In other words, science 
require certain philosophical assumptions that can't be proven. Now, I think it's a fair assumption to assume that the speed of light and these other laws haven't changed. In fact, U. Ross makes the case somewhere in Jeremiah, I believe it is, that Jeremiah seems to indicate that the laws of nature haven't changed. And, uh, well, if that's the case, if, if that's the proper interpretation of that passage, it's somewhere in Jeremiah 31 or 32, the early 30s, I don't have it in front of me, but he's making the case, look, if, it, if, if this is the right interpretation of the scripture here, the laws of nature have not changed, and if the laws of nature haven't changed, the universe certainly appears to be very old. Now, you might say, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. The Bible seems to say it's young, you got the six days and all that. And when people bring that up, I normally ask them, what does the first verse of the Bible say? And it, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, well, when did, when did God create the heavens and the earth? In the beginning. Does it say when the beginning was? No, it doesn't. You say, what about the days? Well, look, the days don't begin until verse 3, where it says, and God said. All the days begin with the same phrase, end with the same phrase. If you want to take a real interpretation of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, the heavens and the earth are created before the days ever begin. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You say, Frank, that's maybe a summary statement of what he's going to talk about in the next six days. It could be. You're right. It could be. But what are you doing then? Again, you're making assumptions you can't prove. You might be right. But it's not as cut and dried as some people like to make it. And when you look at the text itself, you've got different possible meanings of the very word yom or day, or in the text itself. In fact, we're going to see four different ways you can take the word day in the first chapter and a half of Genesis in just a minute. And then we'll get to these other questions. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Don't forget, Winthrop University near Charlotte, North Carolina this Tuesday night. Hope to see you there or on the stream. Back in two minutes. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. I want to thank all of you for going to iTunes and putting up a favorable review on the Cross-Examine official podcast. If you would continue to do that, again, it will help us move up the ratings. And when we move up the ratings or the rankings, more people will be able to listen to the podcast, which is obviously what we want. We want more people to know the truth about Christianity and why it's true. So if you would continue to do that, go to the one with my picture on it. It is the Cross-Examined Official Podcast, and put a positive review up there. Uh, thanks to so many of you. Fred J. Beer just has one up there. Alexa Monte has one up there. Always Seeking the Truth has one up there. In fact, Always Seeking the Truth says, if you want to know why you believe what you believe and be able to communicate that to others, this is one of the best podcasts you'll ever listen to. Well, thank you. I subscribe to several of them and always look forward to when Cross-Examined comes up on my playlist. I've learned so much. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we've got some great... I, I just feel bad about um, tooting our own horn here, but I, I have to let you guys know I appreciate you guys putting this up here. Uh, putting the ratings up on the official podcast. And if you would, share it with other people. Say, hey, check this out. Uh, and I also want to mention, too, in fact, I want to jump ahead. We're, we're, we're going to come back to the uh, Age of the Earth question in a minute. I want to go to the question I, I got from, um, who was it? Grayson Van Hoos, who said this. Frank, have you done an episode why uh, Jewish people stick to their beliefs 
uh, versus believing the evidence for Jesus. I know this instance, we both worship the same God, but we have massive contrasting beliefs on Jesus. I'd like to know their evidence against Jesus being the Messiah and thus why they choose to follow traditional Judaism instead of Christianity. I understand it has more to do with older rabbinical teachings versus evidence, but I'd like to hear a scholar in this area discuss. If you have done a show like this previously, would you point me in that direction? Thanks and God bless. Yes, Grayson, we have done that. Back a year ago, January 23rd, 2018, this podcast with Dr. Michael Brown, the title of the podcast is Jesus the Real Messiah. Answering, and In fact, uh, the, the book or the series of books, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, is Dr. Michael Brown's five-part series. There's five books, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, and he has a website called realmessiah.com. Now, why do I say this now? Because this podcast most of the time is evergreen. What do I mean by that? You can go to a show and listen to a show five years ago. We're talking about evidence that was good five years ago and is still good today. We, we don't always talk about, or I should say only on occasion do we talk about, say, current events issues that may be time late or may evaporate in terms of their relevance uh, You know, a year or two later. Most of the time, we're not doing those events. We're doing, or we're not talking about those events, and even if we are talking about those events, we're talking about them on principles that are still relevant today. So what I'm saying is go back and look at the podcasts that go back a year, two, three, four, five years. Now, the, the, the iTunes version goes back a couple of years. The, the, the uh, app that we have that Jorge Gill has put together so wonderfully goes back several years. So if you want to go back in the archives several years ago and listen to those old podcasts we had with John Lennox and others, all you need to do is get the cross-examined app, two words in the app store, and go back and look in the archive. You can even search. You can search for Dr. Michael Brown. You can search for John Lennox. You can search for Ed Fazer. You can search for Andy Stanley. You can search for um, Justin Brierley. You can search for all of these podcasts we've done in the past that you might be interested in, and you can listen to them right there. Okay, so yes. RealMessiah.com, by the way, is the website with all of the objections that uh, Jewish folks bring up to Jesus being the Messiah and the answer that Dr. Michael Brown, who is an expert in this area, gives. All right, let me go back to the question on uh, the age of the earth. We were talking about the several different meanings of the word day that are possible in the first, in the first uh, chapter and a half of Genesis. Certainly 12 hours, or 12, I should say 24 hours is possible. 12 hours is also possible. Why? Because it says he called the night, um, or the, the, the darkness night, and the light day. That's 12 hours. Uh, it could be an era. Like if you were to say um, Tom Brady, who's now in the Super Bowl again, was a great quarterback in his day. You, you wouldn't think that Tom Brady was good for just 24 hours, right? It, it means an era. And there's a fourth usage of the word day. Um, in fact, we're still in the seventh day right now according to Hebrews 4. So it could be like an unending period of time, not just an era, but an unending period of time. So uh, if we're still in the seventh day right now, and the seventh day is longer than 24 hours, maybe the other days are longer than 24 hours. You just don't know. And even Genesis 2.4, and if you look up Genesis 2.4, you want to look up in uh, Genesis 2.4 in either the ESV or the NASB. Uh, don't, look, don't look it up in the NIV, the nearly inspired version, because the nearly inspired version leaves the word out like it shouldn't. Now, generally, I like the NIV. Don't get me wrong. 
But um, if you look at, uh, let me see the verse here. Uh, in the NIV, it says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So it's kind of a summary statement. But if you go to the NASB, the NASB, and by the way, you should always, you should always look at different translations when you're trying to understand what the text says. Here is what the NASB says, a more literal translation. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the, the earth and the heavens. Okay? That word day there refers to the entire six-day creation period. So you've got several different usages of the word day in the first chapter and a half of Genesis here. So you can't be, you can't say it definitely always means 24 hours. No, it, it, it doesn't even mean that in the text. It could mean 12 hours. It could mean an era. It could mean the, the whole six-day creation period. It could mean the entire seven-day, or it, I should say it could mean an unending period of time, such as the seventh day, which is what we're in right now. So even if you want to say the days have something to do with the timing of Genesis, you're still left with the problem of trying to figure out exactly what the word means in every context here. Also, I think if you look at Genesis 1, there's poetic elements to it. It's not Hebrew poetry, but all the, there are poetic elements. All the, the first three days begin, uh, are, or the first three days are creating days, and the next three days are filling days. And day one and day four are congruent, day two and day five, and day three and day six. They go together. So it's a poetic way of telling an historical truth. And God said, it says at the beginning of every day, uh, it uses the same phrase at the end of every day. Uh, now, that seems to be a poetic way of telling an historical truth. Now, if I were to say, look, I've got this poem of the historical or the poem of the, uh, of the Civil War, say, for example, you might get some good historical information out of that poem, but you wouldn't take every phrase and stretch it to its literal extent. Why? Because it's a poem. It's meant to tell you some truth, but in a poetic way. There's a lot of poetic license going on. That could be the case here with regard to Genesis 1. And it's not just me who have, have said this looks like poetic uh, language. In fact, probably the best popular book on this topic is a book by John Lennox called Seven Days That Divide the World. If you want to go further on it, get Seven Days That Divide the World. Now, some will say, wait, Frank, but the whole thing collapses because you can't have death before the fall. And how could you have death before Adam and Eve sinning? If Adam and Eve come way late in the... Uh, in the time frame here, you've got all these animals dying millions of years before Adam and Eve even show up. Well, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. But the one way I want to talk about right now is the fact that people who say that death came to the entire creation because of Adam are misreading the Bible. Romans 5.12 does not say death came to all creation because of Adam's sin. It says death came to all men because of Adam's sin. And so if death came to all men because of Adam's sin, then you don't have a problem here. You say, well, how could there be animal death before the fall? Well, there was a fall before the fall. There was the fall of Satan. Perhaps that affected creation. We don't know. It's possible. 
But you can't say that in order for there to be death before the fall, it has to come through Adam's sin because that's not what the text says. In other words, we often think the text says something that it doesn't really say. We haven't looked at it as closely as we should look at it. And by the way, why would God have Adam and Eve in a garden if the entire universe was a paradise? What do you need a garden for? The whole universe is a garden before the fall, using that logic. No, perhaps there was a fall before the fall, the fall of Satan, which affected the entire creation. And then when uh, Adam and Eve were created, God created a garden, a garden of innocence there, a paradise. And then when they fell, they were kicked out of the garden into the already fallen world. I mean, again, why would you need to create a garden if the whole world was a paradise? There's a lot of things to think about here. It's not as cut and dried as some have made it to be. At the end of the day, this is not an issue of salvation. So do not make this a test for orthodoxy. Do not say, well, if you're not a young earther, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not saved. That's, that's obviously false. Because I guarantee you this, when you get to heaven, God isn't going to say, did you think I was old or young? No, he's going to ask you what you did with Jesus. All right, because Jesus is the issue, not how old the universe is. We know that God created. We might not be exactly sure about how or when he created, but we know that he created. And that's the key point here. Regardless of how far you go back, whether it's 10,000 years or 14 billion years, you still need a creator and you still need a sustainer today. That's the main point. All right. All right, another question. And by the way, again, if you had gotten our email every week, you've already seen this question answered <clears throat> on video. Uh, just text the word evidence to 44222, evidence to 44222, and you'll be on our email list. We don't share your email address with anyone else, and you'll get this one email a week from us. We normally send it out on Wednesday, and you'll get some other materials as well. Now, if you want to go search for that answer, you can go to our YouTube channel, crossexamine.org, and search for it. It's up there. All right, here's a question. My question is fairly straightforward, and this comes from Christian Peters, by the way. Uh, he says, it's fairly straightforward, but it's still not a core issue, but it still holds a good bit of weight in my thought process. I've heard you say on multiple occasions, on, on one instance being in your debate with David Silverman, that God cannot do illogical things, such as truly loving us, giving us free will, and also making a way that our free will will ultimately, uh, that our free will ultimately ends us up in heaven. I definitely lean more towards the idea that he can do such things and make a square circle. Now, I would have to ask you, Christian, how can God make a square circle? That's just against logic, but I'll get to that in a minute. You go on, say, you go on to say, uh, here's another question. Uh, do you believe that creating the universe out of nothing is illogical, since it is only scientific and something that can't come from nothing? My point is that it seems that God does illogical things all the time, so why would you suggest that he has to operate under our worldly logic? Uh, thank you, Christian Peters. That's how the question ends. Okay, I'm going to answer that right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamine.org. Don't forget, I'm at Wilf Winthrop University near Charlotte, North Carolina, Tuesday night. And in Arizona, Northern Arizona University, the following week. See you back here in two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I don't have enough faith to be an atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Is the logic that we have just worldly logic, as a young man just wrote me, Christian, wrote me and said, hey, does God have to operate according to our world worldly logic? And by the way, you're listening to Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamine.org. I kind of got that question by a atheist at the University of Wisconsin at Madison a number of years ago. I had just gone through the evidence that uh, God existed and uh, that God is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. In fact, you get that from the first verse of the Bible, that if the first verse of the Bible is true, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then whatever created the heavens and the earth, whatever created space, matter, and time, and the evidence shows, the scientific evidence, the philosophical evidence shows that space, matter, and time were created, then whatever created space, matter, and time must be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. So I mentioned that during the, during the presentation, and this atheist got up there and he said, well, can you name anything else other than God that's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial? I said, and I said, yes, the laws of logic. And he would say, he said, well, then I, I, I would say the laws of logic don't exist then. I said, so you're saying they do exist? And he said, no, I'm saying they don't exist. I said, no, you're saying they do exist. He said, no, I'm saying they don't exist. I said, no. You're saying they do exist. He said, how am I saying the laws of logic do exist? I, say, be- I said, because you're using them right now. You're using the laws of logic to have a conversation with me and to contradict what I'm saying right now. And then he went on to say, well, I would, I, I would just say that the laws of logic, we just make them up, i.e. just worldly logic here, um, Basically, and I said, so you're you're basically saying that the laws of logic are human constructions, then that we invent these laws, and if there weren't any humans, there would be no logic. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Before there were any human beings on the earth, was the statement there are no human beings on the earth true? He didn't like that. <laughs> he tried to hem and haw his way out of it, but he finally admitted, yeah, it would be true. Of course, it would be true. Why? Because the laws of logic aren't based on our human minds. Our human minds use the laws of logic, but they don't invent... Easy for me to say. Yeah, I just went through puberty right here on the air. They don't invent... Our human minds don't invent the laws of logic. We use them. Otherwise, to say there are no human minds on the earth couldn't be true if there were no human minds on the earth, but it would be true. There may be nobody there to think about it. It would be grounded in the mind of God, but it would still be true. And this is just another way of saying the laws of logic are grounded in God's nature. It's not worldly logic. God's nature grounds the laws of logic. So these laws are dependent and are derived from his nature. There would be no logic without God, per impossible, as we say. It'd be impossible for there to be anything without God, including the laws of logic. By the way, this is one argument for God, not necessarily the Christian God. Laws of logic don't get you all the way to Christianity, but it could be the Christian God. And this is why atheism is problematic 
Because they claim, and many atheists today are, of course, materialists, and they think, well, everything's made of material. Everything's made of molecules. So if everything's made of molecules, where do the laws of logic come from? The ones you're using right now to say that everything is material. So no, it's not worldly logic. And I would ask, um, back to your other question here, Christian, you say um, that would it be illogical for God to create out of nothing? No, there's nothing illogical about God creating out of nothing. There's no violation of any law of logic. It would be a violation of the laws of logic to say that God could make a square circle or a married bachelor, given the definition of the terms. Why? Because something is either round or it's not round. A man is either married or he's not married. They can't be both. That's just a fundamental law of logic, the law of non-contradiction, and the law of the excluded middle. These are both laws of logic. The law of the excluded middle says it's either A or non-A. There's no middle alternative. Look, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Either the earth is round or it's not round. Either God exists or he doesn't exist. These are just fundamental laws of logic. And to deny them is to use them. You can't deny the laws of logic without using them. So it's literally undeniable. Now, when we say God created out of nothing, you're saying, in your, your question, you're saying, well, that, will that be anti-scientific? No. When we say God created out of nothing, we don't mean there's no cause. God is the cause. What we mean is there's no pre-existing material. There's no material cause. There, there is no material cause, but there's still an efficient cause, and that cause is God. So God creates out of nothing. The only thing I can think of as a parallel to that would be Think, you know, I mean, I mean, everything we, we, we create, we create out of pre-existing material, right? But just think of a new thought coming to your head. It seems like out of nowhere. You know, how does that come into existence? It's not necessarily the same as God creating out of nothing, but it might be similar. A new thought comes to your head. There might not be a material cause. It's not, your thought isn't made of anything, right? It's not made of molecules. If your thoughts were made of molecules... Completely. I know there's a chemical process going on when you think. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's, there's a correlation here between your physical brain and your thoughts. But the thought itself isn't made of molecules. You have an immaterial mind and a physical brain. And the mind uses the brain as an instrument to think and to come up with thoughts. So if I were to say two-ton pink elephant, there's not a two-ton pink elephant in your head right now. You're thinking of one, but there's not one in there. If it was, I could kill you by just saying that. This big two-ton pink elephant appears in your head, right? No, it's an immaterial reality. Now, could God have created a universe where he was the cause of everything with no secondary causes? Yeah. I, I, you know, and unless I'm misunderstanding them, it seems to me that this is what hyper-five-point Calvinists believe, that God does everything. There's no secondary cause. Now, that's a possible world. It's just not a moral world because then... God is doing everything. We don't have any moral choice. And God is the author of evil. That's one of the problems I have with hard five-point Calvinism. It makes God the author of evil. God causes everything directly. There's no secondary causes. We don't have the ability to make choices. God makes all the choices for us. Well, if that's the case, this whole world is a sham. It's, it's not a moral world. We're just programmed, much like the atheists would say. Instead of being controlled by the laws of physics... Uh, as the atheists would say, we're co- we're we're called we're uh, easy for me to say we're caused in everything we do directly by God. Now I'm not denying that God doesn't hold the universe together and holds us together. He does, but we still have the free will to make choices. If we don't have free will, then I don't see much of a difference between the hard five point Calvinist view 
and the materialistic view. We'd be like moist robots. By the one way, we're controlled completely by God. By the other way, we're controlled completely by the laws of physics. Now I know I'm going to get email on that. And try and, well, go ahead, email me. Hello at crossexamine.org. Explain to me why uh, the hard five-point Calvinism, uh, it, and maybe I'm misunderstanding it. Maybe you have another way of looking at it. Fine, email me on it. Uh, but tell me why hard five-point Calvinism isn't the same as uh, the materialistic view that atheists have. There's just a different cause. God is the cause of one, and the laws of physics are the cause of the other. Now, of course, as Christians, we believe that God controls the laws of physics as well. He does. <laughs> but the atheists don't believe that. The atheists believe that the laws of physics are just there. In fact, it was Paul Davies a number of years ago who asked in a New York Times editorial, uh, where, where did the laws of nature come from? And he was just resoundly criticized by his atheistic colleagues for even bringing up the topic. Don't even bring that up. That's not a scientific question. Yeah, of course it's not a scientific question. It's a philosophical question. And you can't do science without philosophy. But they didn't even want to bring it up. Why? Because they're presupposing the laws of logic and the laws of, not only the laws of logic, but the laws of, of nature in order to, 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 to get their atheistic world started. Where do those things come from? Now, in a robot world, there's still a cause, God, but we are not the causes in the hard five-point Calvinistic world. So, back to the point here. Yeah, God could have created the universe where he does everything. I just don't think he does everything. He gives us the ability to make choices. By the way, the fact that the world is governed by precise natural laws and consistent cause and effect that we can, for the most part, rationally understand is better explained by a rational, orderly God than by atheism. The very rational intelligibility of this rational world seems to point to a rational God. And again, when you get down to the, the two possible worldviews, there's either matter came from mind or mind came from matter. They all boil down to that. Either matter came from mind or mind came from matter. Well, ultimately, it seems, the entire universe, the entire reality, I should say, is built on a mind. A mind that created it and sustains it. That's God. It doesn't make sense the other way. That matter could just bring forth mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, Frank, your brain brings forth your mind. Your, your, the, your, your, your brain is the instrument that the mind uses. But when you get back to the, the fundamental element of reality, we know that matter had a beginning. We know that matter is composed, so it must be composed by something that's uncomposed. And if matter had a beginning and is, and is composed, then whatever created it isn't made of matter. It's immaterial. It's spaceless. It's timeless because time had a beginning as well. It's got to be powerful to create the universe out of nothing. It's got to be intelligent to create to begin with, which also means it's personal. And the fact that we can rationally understand the world points back to a source of rationality as well. The best explanation is that all of reality came from a mind. And that mind created out of nothing. He didn't create out of pre-existing material, because that pre-existing material would need a cause too. He created out of nothing. And if he created out of nothing, then the answer to your question is, is it unscientific to create out of nothing? Not if God exists. No, if God exists, he can create out of nothing. We can't create out of nothing. But no, there's, there's nothing that science says. In fact, science doesn't say anything, as you know. Scientists say things. The study of cause and effect inside the natural world will tell you nothing about cause and effect outside the natural world. 
The only thing it will tell you is that the natural world had a beginning. And again, if the natural world had a beginning, then there must be a beginner. All right. So long answer to an interesting question. And uh, another question that was brought up has to do with this regarding the. Uh, let me read it here very briefly. The Kalam, this is from a, a skeptic saying something. The Kalam argument, the universe had a beginning, relies on people not noticing that it extrapolates from causes acting on something that already exists to infer that causes acting on nothing that can have an effect. That wasn't very clear, sorry. It's the way the guy wrote. Let me. Basically what he's saying is, the objection is, uh... Here it is. No matter how many observations you make of causes acting on something to have an effect, you cannot get to a cause acting on nothing having an effect. That's a non sequitur. He says that's the problem with the Kalam. Basically, he's saying, can does cause and effect apply outside of the physical world? And the answer is yes. Why? Well, I would ask somebody who makes those statements. Do those statements have completely material causes? If they do, then there's no reason to think they're true. And I'll explain after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamine.org. And our app is two words in the App Store, Cross-Examine. Thank you for putting the positive reviews on iTunes. Keep doing that, the official Cross-Examine podcast. And we're back in two minutes. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. Facebook page, crossexamine.org. App, two words, Cross-Examine in the App Store. Uh, Check us out on YouTube as well. And if you want to get a... Video, free video every week and get a bunch of other free stuff. Text the word evidence to 44222. That's evidence to 44222. All right, we're dealing with this question right now is, does cause and effect apply outside the physical world? Or is everything just material? And uh, just before the break, I mentioned that to say otherwise would be to defeat that very statement. Why? Because if everything just is physical, that means if everything is a material or physical cause, that means that the thought that you had that everything is a material or physical cause came from a material or physical cause. In other words, it came by the laws of physics, which means you have no warrant to believe it's true. If you're not a mind that can reason, gather evidence independently and reason to a rational conclusion, independent of the laws of physics or I should say, in accord with the laws of physics, but beyond the laws of physics, because the laws of physics have to be in play for you to think, at least in, in our current state. But if you can overcome the laws of physics, rather than being driven by the laws of physics, if you can arrive at truth, then your statement can be true. If you're completely governed by the laws of physics, then you don't know if your statements are true. You're just a Coke can fizzing. You're no different than that. 
You're just a moist robot, a molecular machine. See, the problem is, if everyone is a molecular machine, then why do atheists act if they... Act if they easy for me to say. <laughs> why do atheists act as if they can freely and reasonably arrive at atheistic conclusions? They shouldn't be able to do that. And if there isn't cause and effect outside of space-time, if everything's just has a material cause, then again, you're stuck with that same problem. And by the way, logic wouldn't work either if cause and effect didn't apply outside of space-time. Because just take a premise like all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Right? There's no physical connection between those premises. Those premises are not in time and space. We may have stated them in time and space. We can write them in time and space, but they're not in time and space. There's no physical or temporal connection between the premises. But the premises are true, and the argument is valid because cause and effect is not just physical, it's metaphysical. In fact, to deny causality behind or beyond time and space would be to deny logic, which of course would be self-defeating, and it would negate our ability to argue anything. And of course, you, you can see why it's self-defeating, because to deny the law of causality, if someone does that, you can simply ask them, what caused you to come to that conclusion? Or, you, or more precisely, you could say something like this. What reasons do you have for your position? If the person cites scientific experiments or observations as a source for his evidence, then you can point out that the experiments and observations presuppose cause and effect. In other words, you couldn't make any of those observations or draw any conclusions without the law of causality. And in fact, any process of reasoning the skeptic uses would also use the very law of causality he would be denying. In other words, it's self-defeating rationally and scientifically to conclude that causes do or that effects do not need causes. That's because any denial of the law of causality uses the law of causality. In other words, the atheist had to, has to exempt himself from his own theory in order to make this work. Now, all this is laid out in great detail in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. The two chapters that you can reference on dealing with the fact that causality exists, not just physical causality, not just in space-time, but causality is a metaphysical principle that operates outside of space, matter, and time, and therefore would also apply to the beginning of the universe. All of that you can read about in chapter one and chapter two of Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I've just quoted a little bit from that there. So you do, the, 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 the problem that the skeptic brings up to try and say that cause and effect does not apply outside space, matter, and time, he's using cause and effect right there in order to say that because his very argument is not in space, matter, and time, and it's not made of material. There's no temporal or physical, material relationship between the premises, yet they still go through. Therefore, the argument defeats itself. I know that analyzing these kind of arguments can be like trying to gargle peanut butter. I get it, especially when you don't have the text in front of you. But hard materialism is self-defeating. Let me go to this next question which has a bit more weight to it. In the last six months, I've had some pretty significant issues that have shook my faith. I've been going through a sort of existential crisis, writes Chris. 
I started looking for answers. I don't know how I got on the topic of science, but here's my question. Number one, why do so many secular scientists adhere to phys uh, physicalism and naturalism? Well, look, if there is no God, and this is me now talking, then, then material is the, only, is the only game in town. But as I just mentioned, it's self-defeating. Secondly, I think, for, I think for many scientists, the reason for believing in materialism is more volitional than intellectual. It's more about their resistance than God's existence. In fact, it was Aldous Huxley who said something like, the reason that we don't want a creator is because a creator interferes with our sexual mores. Now, Christopher Hitchens kind of expressed the same thing when he called God a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. It's not that there's no evidence for God. It's they don't want God to exist because they want to do what they want to do, not just sexually, but when it comes to their own personal autonomy. That's why I always ask the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Because many times people will hesitate or they'll say no, because they're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. They want to do what they want to do, and they don't want God to interfere. I also think the bent toward phys physicalism and naturalism is brought on by the wonderful advances in technology. Well, why would that be a problem? Well, the advances in technology aren't a problem. They just cause or they facilitate a great mistake. Here's the mistake. Some scientists mistakenly think that since we are getting better at understanding how causes in the natural world work, that there is no cause of the natural world. I mean, just because we've been getting better at harnessing natural forces doesn't mean there's no creator or sustainer of those natural forces, or that someone outside the universe doesn't intervene in the universe when he wants to get our attention. I mean, it's, it's akin to getting really good at understanding how a, card wor a car works and then denying there's no one that built it. Or you're getting really good at how you can operate your computer and do, do all sorts of wonderful things with it, but then denying that no one built the computer. Advances in technology are empirical, but the study of the origin of the universe is forensic. And empirical science is something you can repeat in the lab over and over again. Something that deals with the origin of the universe or the origin of life, that's a forensic or historical question. You can't go in the laboratory and recreate the creation of the universe. It's, a, it's an historical question. You have to look at forensic clues, clues left over. That's a different kind of science. And too many scientists are confusing empirical science and forensic science. Just because you know how something works doesn't necessarily tell you how it came to be or who is sustaining it. And by the way, notice that science doesn't mandate materialism. Science can't set up the rules of science. Scientists do that, and that requires philosophy. Science is built on philosophy. The people that make the rules of science are using philosophical principles to do so. When they rule out intelligent causes in advance, that's not a scientific principle. That's a philosophical rule that they're applying to science. Now, all this, by the way, is unpacked in the chapter In Stealing from God on Science. And the title of the chapter is Science Doesn't Say Anything Scientists Do. So he went on, Chris went on to say, the second question is this, do you think there is any evidence that shows that because of the big push from science into looking at humans as just evolved amoebas and nothing more, that there's a rise in suicide and mass murders. He says, I want to share that I've been a Christian for most of my life, and with all this new research I, out there, I think it's, I bought pretty heavy into a, a depression, and that there's nothing that truly matters. Now, I've already emailed him back, and I just asked him, uh, what new research do you mean? Because any research that you do to try and show 
materialism is true fails on its face because in order to show that materialism is true, you have to assume you're a free will, free will creature that can follow the evidence where it leads. And you can't do that if materialism is true. In other words, in order for materialism to be true, you have to assume it's not true because you have to assume you're a free will creature that can follow the evidence where it leads. So there's no experiment that will ever prove that materialism is true. Again, all this is in the book Stealing from God. Now, look, here's my answer. I know that suicide is at a peak, tragically, but I don't know if we've been able to pinpoint the causes. It's very difficult to pinpoint causes in social science research. However, it would make intuitive sense that a belief that we are nothing but overgrown germs without purpose would lead to despair and an increase in suicide. I mean, wasn't that the whole point of the French existentialists, people like John Paul Sartre? And Albert Camus, I mean, they were the ones that said, you know, life is nausea. There's no purpose to life. There's no other choice but suicide. I mean, why should, why should we go on? There's no meaning to life. Well, at least they got that right. There's no meaning to life if God doesn't exist. If God doesn't exist, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. Nothing will ultimately come of anything that we do or believe or love. But thank God there is a purpose because God does exist and he does have a purpose for us and the purpose for us is to know him and to make him known and that's one of the reasons we do this podcast we hope it helps you know God and then make him known so Chris hang in there you and I will confer more on email Um, there is truth out there you can know it Jesus is the truth and go through him because we're never going to achieve contentment without going through the truth and Jesus is the truth all right friends There's a lot more we can talk about. Don't forget, the course with the great Gary Habermas is coming up later this month. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and be a part of it. Uh, And the premium course will be up shortly. You can join that as well. Don't forget, I'm at Winthrop University this Tuesday, and then the following Tuesday at Northern Arizona University. Hope to see you guys there. I'm Frank Turek. See you next time. God bless. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless.